Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Prevention 365 Podcast. Prevention is every day and every way. This is your host, Carol Almeida. And for today, we will be discussing harm reduction strategies. What is it in relation to drug use abuse prevention and treatment? So for, we have for our guest, Theo Motzenbecker, Outreach Health Educator of our very own ADAP Health Intervention Program. Welcome, Theo. Thank you. Theo, drug use is a stark reality of American society. I know you are an outreach health educator. So kindly explain, you know, how do you come to terms or how do you deal with that reality? Thank you for the question. Um, So I work in ADAP's uh, health intervention program and we come from a harm reduction perspective. So if you're not familiar with that, if anyone's not familiar with that, I know Carol that you are. Um, uh, that it's it's about meeting people where they're at, kind of accepting that there are people who use drugs, whether or not we like it, and that not everyone is ready to take the step towards sobriety, and some people may never be. Um, but there but there are still ways that we can reduce the dangers associated with drug use. Um, so meeting people where they're at, both kind of metaphorically, what they're ready for, where what they need right now, and also in our case, often uh, literally um, going to places like methadone clinics, shelters, um, encampments, um, finding people who use drugs who don't have connections to the same resources as other people, and making sure that they have the tools to keep themselves kind of safer than they would otherwise be. Um, and so. For us, it's a lot about thinking about, other than the drugs themselves, what makes drugs unsafe? Um, And it's a lot of things, actually. It's um, using quickly to avoid police. You know, if someone is injecting themselves and they're afraid a cop's going to see them, uh, they're going to do it more quickly. They might not measure their doses carefully. They might use a little more than they otherwise would um, or just, you know, not clean as well. And um, that can that can. you know, not using a little more than they would can result in overdose, uh, maybe not kind of taking the time to clean their skin, um, can put them at risk of just like bacterial infections, abscesses, things that seem a little minor, but can actually turn really serious. Um, we've also got in the all over the US, but in LA in particular, uh, the fentanyl crisis, um, this very strong opioid fentanyl, it is uh, 50 to 60 times stronger than pure heroin, and it is just flooding the drug market. Um, It's being laced into just kind of everything that's sold on the street. So people who might otherwise know their dose um, and feel like they can use in in a way that at least keeps them them alive um, are overdosing, and a lot of people are dying because uh, their drugs are so much stronger than they anticipated. Um, And that's, I mean, that's... um, it's in heroin, it's in meth now, it's in pressed pills. Um, it's it's just a really frightening situation right now. And also just stuff like um, lack of access to clean supplies. If folks are sharing, that uh, increases their risk of um, HIV, hepatitis C. 
Um, even if they're reusing uh, something like a syringe or they're using a pipe, you know, long past the point that it's kind of broken and dirty, um, then that increases risk, risk of infection. Um, and even just stuff like not being able to shower regularly um, can again increase that risk of infection. Um, so uh, what we do is um, we do offer referrals to other services. We offer a service called Health Navigation that's about um, kind of a short-term goal setting and helping clients um, reach their goals and through through sort of like a short-term case management model and also a little bit, bit of a counseling model. And um, we also do offer things like a syringe exchange. Um, we offer clean glass pipes um, and, and even just things like hygiene kits, PPE, uh, things that folks really need and don't always have um, access to. And uh, you know, since I'm since I'm talking your ear off, um, I'll say that another thing that we're really aware of is that uh, the consequences for using drugs are often more severe for people with marginalized identities, particularly people with multiply marginalized identities. Um, BIPOC are more likely to get arrested and face prison time than white people who use drugs, for instance. Um, even after uh, there have been some reforms in this area, uh, sentencing for crack cocaine is still a lot harsher than for powder cocaine. And, you know, of course, crack cocaine is associated kind of popularly with uh, Black people experiencing poverty, whereas powder cocaine is more associated with sort of like white businessmen um, and, you know, club kids. Uh, so, but part of harm reduction for us is about um, kind of bridging that gap between the consequences for someone who's, um, you know, who's sitting at the intersection of mar different marginalized identities using drugs versus someone who has has a lot of privilege, has a lot of access. Um, and yeah, I feel I feel really proud that that ADAP, which of course started from a kind of traditional recovery perspective and still does that really important recovery work, is also invested in in harm reduction. I think it's very important and cool. Yeah, Theo. Uh, mm -hmm. Let me be honest with you, <laughs> you know, an average, an average person, much more, shall we say, generally the community, you would have parents, you would have, uh, you know, the elderly, you know, you would have uh, teachers, administrators. I think they'll really find it hard to wrap their heads around harm reduction, you know. So, I mean, for, I mean, can you, or how do you explain it to, uh, to like, let's say people, not people, probably an individual, you know, mm -hmm. an individual who's, who's uh, uh, a member of the community, shall we say, an average worker, an average student, parent, you know, teacher, how do you explain it without really sounding, oh my God, this is offensive. Are you, mm -hmm. is ADAP condoning substance uh, use, abuse? How do you explain it? Thank you. Yeah, I've, I think that's a great question. Uh, in my experience, uh, the people who struggle the most with kind of harm reduction are people who have either been through recovery themselves 
or people who've maybe been um, a caretaker or a witness uh, to a loved one's recovery. And I think that makes complete sense. But I mean, if you're someone who has really benefited from sobriety or you're someone who has been really harmed by drug use, that I think that's that in particular um, can make can make harm reduction feel a little like, what are you doing? Why are you enabling? Um, but I'll start by saying that uh, people take risks all the time and we do find ways to mitigate them. So for instance, uh, you know, there's riding in a car gives you a risk of car accidents. So seatbelts are a form of harm reduction. Uh, wearing sunscreen is a form of harm reduction. Um, getting the COVID-19 vaccination is a really kind of pertinent form of harm reduction. Um, and then in the realm of substance use, um, someone who might drink at a bar and then go home with a designated driver is practicing harm reduction. Um, it's really, uh, you know, it is, it's something that's already baked into our lives. And it's about accepting that people are going to take risks and then finding ways to mitigate those risks, uh, both to the individual and to their community. And I do want to be clear that we're not anti-sobriety or anti-recovery, just that um, not everyone is is there. Not everyone's in that place. Um, and, the, and we believe that people who aren't or maybe aren't yet uh, still deserve to protect their health in the ways that matter to them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so and, and there's an idea that I've encountered a lot that sort of you can't help people who use drugs until they're ready to to help themselves. and I do want to say that a lot of the people we encounter do want to help themselves and also they're not ready to stop using. So it's about kind of finding like what are those what are those kind of stepping stones for those folks? Um, you know, so someone can reduce their risk of HIV, hepatitis and overdose, um, consequences related to jobs, related to housing, related to how they spend their money, um, uh, related to their personal uh, relationships um, while they're still using. Um, and you know, someone who goes from using kind of whenever, wherever, uh, to maybe only using after work or never using in front of their kids or always having a buddy there who's gonna call 911 if they overdose has made a really positive change. Um, and additionally, uh, I do wanna say that harm reduction is often a stepping stone to traditional recovery. Um, this is from this is a fact from the CDC. Um, people who use syringe service programs uh, like ours are five times more likely to enter drug treatment and about three times more likely to stop using drugs than people who don't. So it really is, I think, a thing that can go hand in hand with a sobriety focused model rather than something that's kind of opposed to it. Yeah. Theo, can you possibly, or for the sake of our audience, uh, for the sake of our listeners, would you have, or can you share with us specific cases that you have encountered and how did you go about the process of determining uh, what specific harm reduction strategy to use? Mm, I don't want to get too specific with kind of with specific clients, but I, but I can talk, I do want to talk about sort of general types of, types of cases, if that's okay. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Mm. Um, so for people who want to keep using for any reason, um, but they come to us and they're, they're concerned about their health, they're concerned about their safety. Um, but they're just at like, I'm not interested in reducing. I'm not interested in quitting. Don't even talk to me about it. And if you keep talking to me about it, I'm going to scram. Um, for those mm -hmm. folks, um, the best thing we can do is offer them safer ways to use. 
So that can include um, giving them a safe way to dispose of their used supplies um, and replacing them with clean supplies, um, again, for that kind of disease prevention model, and also for um, you know, keeping the community safe, keeping those uh, used syringes out of trash cans, um, as well as educating them on safer use practices. Um, and one thing that we do is uh, train them how to reverse an, an opioid overdose using a medication called naloxone. So if one of their friends overdoses, then they can be there um, to, to administer that and just keep that person alive because a, a person's not going to make different choices in the future if they're dead. Mm -hmm. um, and then one thing that we found uh, with, with, some, with some folks um, is that sometimes we'll get someone who's like really excited about what we're doing and maybe they're not ready to make kind of huge changes. And sometimes it's people who really have cut down on their use already or people who have even become sober, um, but they're really excited about what we're doing. And we do find ways to sort of integrate people into our program um, in sort of, sort of, you know, an informal peer educator kind of way, but people will sometimes become kind of go-to people in their communities for when someone is overdosing and needs help or someone needs clean supplies or someone, you know, needs to be connected to a resource that um, that they might be, that, that this person might be someone that, that members of their community will go to and we can support them in that. Yeah. So Theo, can you describe to us what an ordinary day for you looks like? <laughs> what oh, is sure. An ordinary day, like, I mean... Do clients come to you or do you outreach? As your position title says, you're an outreach health educator. So is it clients coming or you going to your clients? Can you describe uh, yeah, your day? Yeah. Sure. For me, it's often um, going to clients. So oh. some days it's a, it's a fixed site. So it's a site that um, clients know that we're going to be at at the same time every week. Um, or every other week, and um, excuse me, um, no. and I uh, set up. Uh, I'll set up a table. I'll have all my supplies out. I'll put up a banner. I'll maybe in this heat, I'll put up a nice canopy for some shade, and I'll hang out there for you know two two to four hours, however long we're scheduled. And often the same people will come back, kind of week after week. Sometimes they'll bring their friends. Um, and then I can check in on how they're doing and make sure that they're hooked up with the supplies that they need, um, maybe help them work towards a goal. Um, some days uh, after that, maybe I'll go um, outreaching with a couple of people. So um, go drive, drive around um, in one of the company vans and try and find some, some encampments, um, something like that. Uh, some days uh, we'll go somewhere like a shelter and do um, an educational workshop, maybe teach people how to reverse an overdose, something like that. Um, uh, some days at sites, I'll run, uh, I'll run a little support group. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, for the second part of the day, I'll come back to the office. We do uh, have a lot of paperwork that we have to do for, for all the supplies we're handing out and uh, kind of have to justify to our funders where those are going, so. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll do that paperwork and it also it helps us evaluate kind of how successful we are, what we need to be doing differently, um, which areas we're meeting a lot of people in. Um, and then it's usually just kind of things like uh, meetings. I might do a, a training or something or I might just, uh, you know, get get prepped for the next day. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, busy, busy, busy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, but it's so concrete the way you describe it, Theo. It is so concrete. It is, it is reality in general, right? It mm-hmm. is reality. So uh, we're just getting around that ADAP is taking really um, a step further. I mean, I think ADAP has this reputation of being one of the pioneers in harm reduction strategy. Am I getting this correctly? Oh, I hope so. Definitely, we've been doing it for a while. Um, uh, Terry Reynolds, who is um, you know running the the HIP program, um, I think kind of pioneered this department and has been doing this work for twenty years, maybe more. So I know she, that she's someone that. Uh, other folks in our in our kind of larger California harm reduction community really know and really look to. So I'm really I'm really happy to be here. Yes, and proud to. Yeah. We're all very proud. proud to. We're also proud to have you, Theo. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> We're also proud. So uh, let me go now to what we call desired outcomes. Isn't it that you know in in the place where we're in in our field, you know, prevention, intervention, and treatment for substance use and abuse. We always have or would like ahead of us to have what we call desired outcomes to determine effectiveness of of what we're doing or success of what we're doing. How do you measure it when we go, when we are in the field of harm reduction? So I will say, that uh, the biggest marker of success is also the hardest to quantify, which is how a client uh, feels. Um, like, do they feel empowered to make educated, thoughtful decisions about their own health? Um, does change feel possible to them if they want to make change? Um, but of course, we can also look at behavior. We don't have to just uh, mm-hmm. go go by what the person is feeling. Um, so we can we can kind of find out. Um, are they, for instance, uh, using a new syringe every time that they use? Are they sharing a pipe or are they making sure to use their own or use a rubber mouthpiece with it to, um, to avoid um, you know, infection? Um, are they testing their supply for fentanyl regularly? Do they keep naloxone on hand? Um, are they using with a buddy or um, if they don't have a buddy, are they calling the never use alone hotline, which is... Um, Kind of what it sounds like. They'll uh, it's a hotline where they'll send and uh, they'll take your information before you use. They'll stay on the phone with you for a few minutes after you have used. Maybe you've injected, and then um, just keep checking in with you. Make sure that you're still conscious. And if not, uh, then they you've already given them permission to call an ambulance to your location if you stop responding. So. Um, do people get tested for HIV and hepatitis C? Um, are they getting abscesses? Are they getting fewer abscesses? Um, do they know what increases the risk of overdose and what to do in case they see it happen to someone else? Um, and I will say there are also ways to look at a community and measure success from a public health perspective. So we could look at uh, community rates of HIV and HCV, hepatitis C. Um, And I will say that again, according to the CDC, which I keep coming back to, uh, use of syringe service programs points to a 50% reduction in HIV and HCV incidents. Um, And with people who use uh, medication-assisted treatment, that is a two-thirds reduction. So those numbers go kind of radically up as well. 
You can also look at just how many syringes do you see on the ground or in public trash cans. Um, there have been studies that have now spanned decades um, that show that uh, syringe service programs improve public health by reducing the number of used syringes left in public places. I should be clear that I mean decades worth of studies, not studies that have a length of decades. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I and I do also want to say that as sort of as as far as the kind of community health aspect goes. Um, that uh, syringe service programs are also shown to not increase crime rates or raise uh, raise the rates of drug use in a community. Um, so it's a it's a win 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 situation in that way. But but yeah, those are kind of some some behaviors we can look at at both an individual and community level to see if what we're doing is working. That's very impressive, Theo. Thank you for elaborating on it, both individual and community level. I would say. Harm reduction is a pub is a public health platform, right? I agree. Yes, absolutely. It's a public health platform. You know, uh, which which reminds me, I was just reading uh, uh, an article on COVID nineteen, the new subvariant, and uh, right now it's it's not just having mandates, but placing individual responsibility and and as an individual you also have to track uh the level of covid-19 cases in your community and mm -hmm. they said that one indicator is wastewater you know wastewater the tracking or wastewater surveillance system for covid-19 so which brings huh. me yeah you see That's you're so surprised cool. I mean, I just, as, just as when I heard syringe or <laughs> syringe exchange <laughs> as a public health platform, I am also surprised, you know. <laughs> you know? You know? So uh, thank you for explaining to us. Thank you for explaining to us uh, behavioral change, you know, brought about by the introduction of harm reduction strategies, both at the individual behavioral level and the community level. You know, Thank that you. Is, that is enlightening okay, to you. That is oh, so enlightening. So this is, you know, this is, shall we say, um, cutting edge. I would say our discussion is cutting edge. <laughs> I, yeah? I feel, I feel kind of, I've, I feel pretty cool now. I feel like a cool kid. <laughs> yeah, for for yeah. us really to be, you know, to be at at ease in discussing harm reduction and you know sharing it with the community. Look, this is not condoning. This is not enabling substance abuse, but it is dealing with the reality that we're facing. Very much like tobacco. Very much like smoking. Mm -hmm. Much as we want to prevent early initiation or youth from accessing tobacco and using tobacco, we still have the reality that millions of Californians are hooked to tobacco and vape products. Mm -hmm. They said that uh, the number of Californians uh, using tobacco exceeds you know, is or equivalent to the population of 23 small states here in the United States, you know. 
So yeah. that's why there is need for what? Harm reduction to deal with that reality. And so we're, we're exploring tobacco cessation strategies. That's so, fantastic. You know, I, I think the success of this discussion is very much bringing it down to the level of, you know, the community, bringing it down to the level of the general population or the common people, you know, the harm reduction. I mean, it doesn't stay there clinical or, right, it, it's, not, it's not a trend. It's not, a, mm-hmm. it's not whimsical you know, but it's a necessity to deal with the reality alongside prevention Mm -hmm. with respect to, you know, with respect to resolving in a strategic manner substance use and abuse. Yeah. So thank you for that, Theo. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's short. The discussion is short, it's brief, but very substantive. So uh, I would like the floor is yours for your message, you know, to our audience with respect to, uh, you know, it's, it's a thought, it's a message that you would like to leave to our audience on how harm reduction strategies can really bring about change in people's lives and can actually transform people's lives, especially those impacted by substance use and abuse for the better. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to do this. I could go on about harm reduction for actual hours, but I will limit myself. (laughs) And uh, I'll just say that um, I kind of go back to the idea that I often hear the idea that people who use drugs aren't going to help themselves unless and until they reach rock bottom. And I'll say that that hasn't been my experience, that people really do want to live with dignity and safety, even when, um, you know, one part of their lives or one or more parts of their lives uh, may feel really out of control. And if you offer people tools to keep themselves and their communities safer, they will use them. And that's better for everyone. And it also, I think can help people find a sense of control, um, kind of rediscover in some cases um, that that urge to take care of themselves and and that um, that love for themselves. And I think that that leads um, to some really beautiful places. Thank you, Theo. Thank you for that message. Again, it's reclaiming, right? It's claiming and reclaiming our human dignity, our right, our right to live quality life. Mm-hmm. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you so much for this app, for, for this day, Theo. Thank you for Thank- spending time with us to discuss in a simple way, you know, very simple, very concrete you know, what harm reduction is. It may sound to be clinical or academic at times, (laughs) quite unreachable (laughs) for, shall we say, the ordinary, for the ordinary person. But now that you were able to break it down, you know, people see the light, 
people mm-hmm. see the light in prevention and of course within that context the large context of prevention is harm reduction thank you thank and you so, so much carol i really i appreciate you having me on to talk about this yes and definitely this won't be the the first and the last there will be uh, there will be more you know so um, so we bring to a close uh prevention 365 podcast uh, this episode on harm reduction strategy drugs are destroying lives what do we do yes we have answers to that question what do we do very productively very uh fruitfully we have answers to that through harm reduction strategies so uh thank you and uh we are airing wednesdays meaning the prevention 365 podcast is airing wednesdays on the believe network also catch us on spotify and apple these are streaming services or on adap's youtube channel aadap that com thank you so much and until next time thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b l e a v on youtube